and then you look up and you're in the weeds and you have no idea how you got there, <laughs> right? And it's like, oh crap, I'm in the weeds and it's gross. And But if you can stay calm and maneuver back, you get to go on the ride again. That imagery has helped me through at the 3 a.m. You know, spots of like, what am I doing <laughs> Welcome to Hacks and Flax, the podcast for March Communications, where we cover PR, marketing, media, and all things communications. I'm Annie Vega, and I'm joined again today by my colleague, Marina Ascari. Hey, Marina, how's it going? Hi, Manny. It's good. Yeah. It's a nice sunny day, although we haven't been able to actually get outside and enjoy it. <laughs> no, so. we haven't, but it's on the list. It's coming soon, yeah. just after this. We'll be out of here in a little bit, so it's hopefully we can uh, get some get some uh, good weather in. It's been rainy all week, so I'm so ready. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, good conversation coming up on, on this episode. So we spoke to Michelle Cove. Uh, she's founder and executive director of Media Girls. Uh, and they're a pretty interesting um, nonprofit group that mm-hmm. uh, works with middle school girls. And it's basically, it's almost like education, right? It's like um, giving them the tools they need to think critically about advertising, the messages that are being put out there in the media, um, and specifically kind of, you know, sniffing out really sexist and, you know, just those kind of messages that aren't really on the mark. Yep, those messages that might be damaging to their self-esteem or their body image. And, and you know, the organization also is looking at how to expand that curriculum to boys as well. And, yep. and perhaps, you know, how do we not just change this conversation but stop having the conversation right. um, altogether and, and, and so that it's not even a concern anymore for, for young men and women about how the media impacts them. Right. I mean, she made a good point in the, in the conversation, in the interview that's coming up that um – you know, you, you we're starting to see it. This is like a big, relevant conversation right now, obviously. Um, and, and it seems like brands are starting to become a lot more conscious of it in terms of what they're doing in their advertising. Um, and the media in general is trying to be more sensitive around kind of what kind of message they're putting out there. Uh, problem is, it's still not quite all the way there. There's definitely a lot of stumbling blocks. Some just outright get it wrong. Right. And we've seen the backlash that can happen when, a, you know, you try to do some sort of really great empowering feminist campaign and it turns out it's actually completely ridiculous right. and people see right through it and it's not genuine yeah um, absolutely it has to be authentic um yeah. and people know when it's not right. um and i think it's even more um you know in brands attention um because now people can speak directly to them on social media so you know there's a lot of direct feedback coming in about how um you know advertising campaigns or certain messages impact people um so they have to be really um, cognizant of that. Yeah, definitely. And and almost um, focus not so much on, you know, almost all the conversations around like the standards of beauty, like you're supposed to look like this. And as Michelle mentions in this interview, um, that's kind of a disproportionate amount of attention on just the, the simple topic of how attractive someone is when there's so much more right. to the conversation that you could be talking about. Right. There's so much more substance um, and leadership that, you know, we should be developing in young kids and it. You know, it's, it's kind of sad that that's really the focus. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's nice that, you know, media girls and there there's organizations and nonprofits like this that are really working to move that message. Yeah. No, it's encouraging that um, yeah, groups like this exist. And fortunately, through this startup series that we've been doing, um, we've been able to speak to a few other local groups that are, are working on, um, you know, either educating younger people or just changing that conversation around, you know, these kind of topics. Exactly. Um, what were some stuff that you took away from, from this interview? Yeah. So um, from this interview, I think one of the biggest takeaways was um, how powerful media is, um, not just in the sense of the work that Michelle is doing to try and change the mindset um, uh, and response of young uh, men and women um, 
to media, but also in the sense of how media can really drive um, startups. Um, it's really powerful. Um, and, and one really interesting lesson that came out was, um, you know, she had an interview on a local TV station and um, afterwards got a lot of inbound leads. Um, and she almost wasn't, uh, you know, thinking that way. She wasn't quite ready for that. Right. Um, so the takeaway there is, you know, as startups are getting out in the community, and doing more media and getting their name and brands out there, they have to also be ready um, for what that's going to mean um, and have a plan in place. Um, so it's it's a good consideration to think about um, when is the right time for media, having the right response and being able to handle it. But another good point that Michelle makes is that no matter what, it, it's great to start to build those relationships. So even though, even though you may not be able to act on it immediately right away, um, those inbound leads open up conversations that maybe really do turn into something in in the long term. Yeah. Um, so definitely some interesting lessons I think from today's conversation. Yeah. I mean, if someone reaches out now and you're not ready for it, you know, maybe six down six months down the line, um, you know, timing could be better. But uh, and that's something we've heard in in some of these past interviews as well. It's like it's the age old thing, you know, especially for startups. Am I ready to do this type of outreach? Am I ready to get the word out? Do, do we have you know, our message really polishes everything that, you know, we want to say ready for it. And are we, are we ready to handle whatever potential benefits or, you know, the, the, the negative stuff that could come from that kind of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's smart to think about that kind of stuff ahead of time. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just feel like that's a consistent message. We've been Absolutely. Up interviews. Absolutely. And it's, um, you know, it's so important to know, um, Exactly. When the right time is and, and do you have your ducks in a row and, and who is it that can help you get there and who it is, you know, that helps these startups get into the place to, to have these conversations or maybe say, no, we're not ready to have these conversations. So right. so those are some some really uh, key messages that are specific to the startup community. Yep. Yeah. Cool. And a lot of us, a lot of other interesting uh, takeaways in this this interview coming up here so shall we get started we shall all right uh here's michelle cove executive director and founder of media girls our guest today on hacks and flax is michelle cove she is founder and executive director of media girls hey michelle welcome to the show thank you happy to be here so excited to have this chat here. Um, really fascinating what you guys are working on. And you know, could you explain a little bit uh, what the goal of the group is and what the vision is for you? Yeah. So for me, uh, back in 2014, I took the fact that I was a media maker for the past 25 years and love media, which combined with having a nine-year-old daughter and watching her get hammered by the messages media was sending to girls, saying that they're not enough as they are. They're not, you know, need to be skinnier and hotter. And just got really fed up with that. Um, and why can't we do better for our girls? And so I basically just came up with a curriculum of what I'd want her and her friends to know if I could. And it was a 10-week curriculum once a week um, for about 90 minutes where we would just sit with middle school girls and talk about media messages they're getting, how they feel about them, where their self-worth comes from, and most importantly, how to create empowering content for girls using media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned your background. Um, I feel like that plays an interesting part in the development of Media Girls, right? So can you describe a little bit about what that background is? Yeah, so I was the freaky girl who at eight knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to tell stories and write for magazines, and I was determined, and I did. I, right after college, started working for magazines. I didn't know where magazines were going <laughs> or that they'd be disappearing, 
But I just, I always love storytelling. And I think media often gets a bad rap by myself included for the messages it's putting out there. But really, it's the best storytelling platform in the world, right? And it's not good or bad. It's just a platform. And I've always been inspired by the positive it could do. So I've made documentaries and books and blogs and just found every way that I could to tell stories that uplift people. What were some of the observations you were making, I guess, in your prior career that and that kind of, I guess, you know, informed Media Girls? So it's funny because I could not have told you that my work had a theme to it until I built a website that would showcase my work. And all of a sudden I started putting all my projects up there and it was the first time, probably to my own stupidity, (laughs) I realized that there was this undercurrent theme Mm. through all of my work, which was helping girls and women explore the choices they made with intention. And whatever the theme was, happily ever after, um, or parenting girls or dealing with conflict, there was this theme. And I think that pretty quickly led to this was a natural next step for me. Mm. Was there a particular moment that kind of sparked the idea for you? Uh, you mentioned your daughter, you know, she was kind of growing up and starting being a little more exposed to the media. Um, was it just seeing her kind of, you know, interact with the media and just get, you know, pick up these messages? Yeah, there was a specific moment, which was that my daughter, again, she was nine at the time, and she always loved swimming from the time she was a toddler and was in classes, you know, from the second we could put her in. And one day she wouldn't come out of the locker room and um, the coach was waiting, everyone was waiting and couldn't figure out why. And I went to get her and she was just standing there crying and I couldn't figure out no matter what I asked her how many ways um, she wouldn't tell me just tears running down her face and I finally got it out of her and she said when I stand with my legs together my thighs touch something's wrong and I was like what yeah. <laughs> the hell are you talking about and it was the thigh gap and at age nine that a feminist filmmaker you know and media person would not be able to spare her that was just I think that was a final straw moment for mm. me And that's just something kind of picked up and didn't even like, you know, just like sat with her. Like, how does that? Yeah, I think it just starts earlier than we can even imagine. I have parents saying to me, you know, my daughter's in kindergarten. She's going around saying I'm fat. You know, what do I do about that? It's just it's everywhere and it's incessant. And I think that was the drive to try to figure out some way to combat that. So how does the program work now? So we're currently in six schools in Boston. And after a year of me trying out the curriculum in a variety of different schools, I realized that there is really um, a desperate need from the girls for the conversations that we're having. Yes, they're consuming, you know, 10 hours of media a day, but nobody's really putting a pause on it and asking them what they're taking in and how they feel about it. So after a year, I started training female college students in Boston how to learn the curriculum, which is very specific, and bring it to more girls. And the one question was, you know, could these college students teach the program as well as I could? And the joke was on me because they can do it better. (laughs) They grew up with this. It's they are fired up and passionate. And they're young. They're like, you know, big sisters to these girls. So that's been an extraordinary way to scale. Wow. Mm -hmm. How did you, you know, make those connections, find those, those college students who you could then have as instructors and trainers? We recruit, we're actually recruiting right now for more. So if there's female college students in the area, find us. Um, It's a definite, we put a lot of time into who we're hiring and why. It tends to be self-selecting. The young women who find us are pretty fired up about the topic and incredible and passionate. And then we put them through a weekend of training, which is how to learn the curriculum, but also best practices 
and we invest a lot in mentoring them. So we offer workshops in how to negotiate for pay and how do you become a strong role model? How do you use social media for good so that it's you know generational that we're giving back? That's interesting. Um, what was what was the learning curve for you running this type of program? Um, and were there any kind of kind of like surprises along the way that just that just hit you? <laughs> Everything. <Yeah. laughs> no surprise when you have a startup. Um, one of the biggest surprises right away was when I piloted the curriculum in Brookline for the first time with middle school girls. And I asked the question to them of, how would you describe the perfect girl according to media? What does media say she looks like? Who is she? And they all said, we're all the perfect girl. We're all special. And I kind of giggled. I was like, no, we're not. Like, not according <laughs> to media, we're not. And they are so used to growing up in a PC culture that they know what to say. Yeah. And it took a couple of classes for them to trust that I really meant we're going to have this conversation. And there was a complete liber liberation for the girls mm. um, where they opened up for the first time. I feel fat. You know, media makes me feel crappy. I don't like what it's doing. And from that place, they could get good and pissed off, which they should be. And then you can become an activist, and then you can have real stories and tell, um, you know, write blog posts about this. But you can't do it from a PC place. It's just um, it kills the authenticity, I think. So that was a surprise. Mm. It's almost like um, they had the answer ready because the you know the adult was asking. Like what exactly, you yeah. exactly, and and they had to trust that I could handle it and have that real conversation with them. What did it take? How long do you think it took before? And maybe it doesn't apply. You know not consistent across every group, but is it that same sort of process where you have to kind of get past the first bit of, you know, PC gloss and really work with the these students to get them to be honest with you about? Every school seems to have its own bent. So sometimes when I go into a school and it's all um, black and Latina girls, the conversation changes to, you know, we're not measuring ourselves against Taylor Swift. That's not who we're looking at, you know, and the conversation changes to where are we in the media? Why aren't we part of the story? You know, why is it only Beyonce and Lupita and Rihanna and that's it? And so that's a whole conversation that's not only worth having, it's necessary to have that conversation. So each community seems to have its own themes. Mm. Uh, so you mentioned the different communities. How how are you growing? I mean, you started in that, that pilot program in Brookline, right? Mm -hmm. So was it just finding other willing schools that would participate or were you looking for specific types of communities? or? Yeah, we're definitely, we know now that first year was really like, who wants to date us? Who wants to partner with us? We'll take anyone as we try it. And we've become far more selective in what we're looking for in partners. And that's helped a lot. You know, we need the certain pieces in place. Um, we need somebody on site who's a teacher that the students respect to be in the room with them. Um, so, so those different pieces help out a lot. And the other thing I should say is we had a lot of partners say, we really want to work with you, but A, what about boys? And B, is there something you could do during the school day? And so organically from that, we grew Media Minds, which is three class long workshops for boys and girls that we teach during health classes. So I didn't see that one coming when I started it, but now it's been really effective and good for me to hear from boys and do the pressures on them. Do you do them together or do you, or are they separate? So it depends on the school. I have found that if you try to put sixth and seventh grade boys and girls together during the first workshop where we're talking about bodies and images, um, there's a lot of giddiness from the boys and it's a little too much for them. And so we separate them often for that first workshop. 
but we put them back together so that they can hear about the pressures that each other, you know, their different experiences and hearing it from each other makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. So we put them together where we can, but we learn when to separate. Mm. (laughs) Time and place for every conversation, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting that you're talking a lot about how you're having the conversations with the girls and trying to reshape their perceptions, but um, are there any aspects of the program that speaks to the media about how the media itself should be different? Yeah, we are teaching girls to push back all the time. And what we tell these girls is you are a generation of media makers in a way the generations before you could never be, right? So when I was growing up, there were all these gatekeepers with media. You had to go through a film distributor or a book publisher to try to get through. But now if you have a phone, you're a media maker. It's like that simple. They all have platforms. They all use their social media. So we're teaching them that they can, A, push back against companies where they don't like the messaging, but they can create their own content anytime they want. And so they're experimenting with that in ways that I think adults just aren't showing them how to do. So how do you measure kind of the impact that the program's had so far? So there's a few different ways. One is we can actually just look at the work that they're doing. So we have a Media Girls blog, and the work they create in class has to go through different revision steps before it can go up on the blog. So by the time it goes up there, we can show that they're thinking critically and that they've created something successfully. It's definitely not everybody gets a trophy. You Mm -hmm. have to earn that spot. So that's one way. And the other way, which is new for us, we, um, I would say, botched our impact studies the first year. So what we're doing this year is we have them write critically about an ad they're seeing in media on the first day. And we're looking for certain topics that we want them to hit on. Um, and then we're asking them the very same question on the last day and taking that before and after and giving it to somebody independent to really assess are they thinking critically in a different ways? Are they thinking about these topics differently? And so that's our first year trying it, so I can't tell you the results yet, but I'm pretty fired up to find out. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting though. So it's kind of like the before and after, you know, you started with this type of perspective and then analyzing, you know, these specific things that you guys are looking for, how's that changed over time? Exactly, and we started by trying to measure attitudes. Um, You know, did your confidence increase after 10 weeks? Um, in what ways did it become increased? And what we found is that doing self-reporting with middle school girls at the end of a day is pretty unreliable. <laughs> and probably for anyone it is, but especially, um, you know, depending on if somebody said something rude that day or a teacher thought you were cheating or like it throws off the whole yeah. survey. So, Are you getting any sort of feedback from the actual instructors? Yeah, so that was one of the most exciting things. I honestly brought in college students as just a vehicle to get to more girls at first. And it was fun to mentor them, but that's, you know, what I saw. And what I've realized is that we can now measure the impact that we're having on them. So what we know is that the mentors who do the teaching not only feel good about, you know, the really positive work they're doing, but they're using their own social media differently to spread the word about women in a positive way. They are more likely to become leaders, they're telling us. Um, They're thinking about role modeling in a different way and helping girls really understand media messages. So we're watching their growth and able to measure the impact we have on them before and after. Mm -hmm. And so I love that double hit. Yeah. Um, So we kind of also want to explore back to the partnership topic. Um, What kinds of partnerships have been really important to growing media girls? Um, I know that you've mentioned in the past um, the citizen schools and and the um, community program. Yeah, so Citizen School, which provides extended day learning, um, has been 
really amazing for us because what it does is it one ensures that we're going to get girls in the seats which if they don't show up we don't really have a program (laughs) and so it's just it's an easy way to do that they've been strong partners for us um we have good communication with them we know what we're getting and so it brings a reliability to it that we really need in place we spend a lot of time mentoring the college students and getting them ready to go and so we need to know ahead of time it's going to be successful and there's some experimentation um, but that eliminates some of it so that's one and then the media partners we found have been extraordinary and that's one of the most fun parts for me is hearing from especially women in the media who want to be part of making change whether it's through advertising or radio or tv they want to be a part of the solution. So it's pretty heartening. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are you doing now to get the word out about Media Girls? We do a bunch of community outreach events. So another piece of what we do is we're trying to help parents to help their kids. And we have certainly heard a lot from parents saying, like, I don't know what the hell Twitter is, <laughs> or like <laughs> Snapchat streaks, what? <laughs> So in addition to creating content for them, we do a lot of community programming. So for instance, this weekend, we are screening a documentary called Embrace, and it's about learning to appreciate and love your body for what it is. And we're having parents come in um, from Newton and Needham and Brookline. And it's a way for us to get the word out on what we do. And it's also a way for them in a fun way to get educated on what we're teaching the girls. Um, We certainly are on media quite a bit. I think there's like an excitement about what we're doing. So that's really helpful. Um, What what the coolest thing I think about Media Girls is in terms of PR is that there's just this implicit understanding that there's a problem, right? We don't have to spin our wheels trying to convince people. Like if you live in this society, (laughs) you're very aware and worried about what's going on. And so to see that there's a group that's come up with a solution and it's working, I think people are excited to share that story for us. Mm -hmm. I imagine that probably contributes to why you get so much energy, especially from people who are wanting to volunteer and participate. And you mentioned some of these media partners who, or do you mean like actual people in the media who are excited yeah. about what you're doing and want to be just help in some way? Or? Exactly. So for instance, we had um, Arnold Advertising, mm. which is you know an amazing group of advertisers in Boston that's led by a woman. I reached out to her and said, is there any way you can help us? And they, this team of young women who are all leaders in the agency, came up with a pro bono campaign for us. So the theme of it is it's hashtag XOMG, and the MG is for media girls. The X is if you can't stand the content because it's bad for girls and women, and the O is if you love it and it's circle worthy. So not only are girls marking up media, whether it's digital or in print, and adding hashtag XOMG, but they start to see the world differently because of that. They sort of go through billboards in the streets and think like X. (laughs) And that's cool. Like what a fun way to be thinking critically. And that was their idea for the campaign. So that was like a perfect media partner where everybody wins. They feel great about what they're adding to the world, helping us. And we definitely take advantage of it. Cool. How have partnerships or, um, you know, opportunities that came like that with Arnold, kind of fueled back into the the program to help it grow. Has that happened at all or 
Definitely. So that hashtag XOMG became part of classrooms. So we start out and have our college mentors bring in examples every single week and say like, here's my XOMG. What we do now is we show them the advertisement um, and then we ask them, do you think it's an X or an O? Because the reality is as advertising is becoming more sophisticated, it's often an X and an O, right? It's not as obvious (laughs) as it used to be. And so it's great for them to have to decipher instead of, you know, us coming in and saying, this is an X, you know, what do you think it is and why? And that leads to great discussion. Sometimes, you know, they bring in their own XOMG. Often they're shy to do that because they're in middle school, but they'll say like, oh, I saw a billboard this week in, you know, downtown Boston. I thought it was a big X (laughs) (laughs) and tell us why. And that's great. That means like outside of the classroom, they're aware of what we're doing and why it matters. You mentioned it's been kind of easier, I guess, or maybe there's less resistance from people in terms of identifying the problem. You know, everybody kind of knows there's a problem. I'm just kind of curious to get your perspective on it since this is kind of your world Um, in general, and especially among the media. Do you feel like there's a little bit of a shift happening at all? Like, is there any sort of progress being made? Or yes. So I could not do this work if it was just a giant bummer. (laughs) I'm like too much of an optimist for that. Um, I do think that with the pushback, we're starting to see media change and expectation change. And especially because social media is this great equalizer where everyone can speak up and say, like, this is garbage. We don't want to see this anymore. So we're hearing back from companies. Um, So we heard back from Vaseline when we said, we love your ad in this way. They wrote back and they were, you know, fired up and excited. It looks good for them. Will they continue to make positive ads? Maybe, you know, it's a critical mass. Um, definitely we're seeing a rise of femvertising, which is feminist advertising. And I think some of it is incredible and sincere. You know, I think the Dove campaign is really trying and like a girl is really trying. Um, some of it feels insincere to me and like it's riding a wave and it's for everyone to decide <laughs> if it's sincere. But those are great conversations that weren't even happening. You know, this is a new stage. So I do. I think the more we can educate girls and young women how to demand better, they're the audience. You know, they have power of purchase. That's how it changes. So mm. I do feel positive. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, what's coming to mind is um, those airy ads that are the girls that are, I guess, supposedly unretouched and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I found those to be actually quite different um, than what we've kind of seen so far. So I don't know. It was funny when you said that, that popped into my mind. Have you seen those? I have. You know, it's mixed reactions. I, in some ways, felt like, so this is the airy real campaign, right? These girls were not retouched. And in some ways, I found some of them like worse because they're still beautiful and they look like the perfect girl. But now there's even more because <laughs> they weren't photoshopped. Like that would make me feel far worse. Like she just looks like that. But I think they've gone even further than that now, and they are starting to show young women who do have, um, you know, a pock mark or mm-hmm. some stretch marks, or and and girls are saying it does matter to them and that they are responding positive. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it has to. We have to change the look. But the the one other thing I want to say that I think gets confused is that our goal is not just to show beauty in different ways for girls and women and to say we can all be beautiful in our own way. Our goal is to stop talking about looks for girls (laughs) altogether, right? Like, what about, you know, Malala? And what about the, like, incredible contribution girls and women are making in the world and why doesn't that get more focus? So 
Dove campaign, like fantastic, but we need to go so far beyond that. And I think it's time. I'm actually reading her book right now. That's funny <laughs> it's that really, you right? That. Yeah, <laughs> exceptional. Um, well, that's all like incredibly powerful. Um, but the other thing we also want to kind of explore is shifting a little bit to look at um, Media Girls as a startup um, and how you know it's grown in Boston. Um, we want to take a look at the Boston innovation community. So um, in your perspective, having grown Media Girls here, um, how has this innovation community in the area helped specifically um, with its success? Well, definitely winning Tug this year was an extraordinary coup on a variety of fronts. Um, one, as a small startup, to walk away with $50,000 you know, in a grant is, I, I can't tell you how far that will go. But also, it was such an incredible experience in being able to sit down with people in agencies, with people who pitch for a living, and get that kind of help. Um, because for whatever innovation you're doing, whatever technology, if you can't pitch quickly and effectively and efficiently, you're done for. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter how great your program is. So the people who come to me ordinarily are people who are already supporters, but how do you pitch if they're not? And so I found that hugely um, empowering for me to be able to talk to young men, you know, who I never get to talk to. How do you pitch to them? How is that different? That whole learning process was incredible. What were some things that you learned actually specifically? That's so interesting. <laughs> I know. It was like a huge psychological experiment. So one thing I learned is that there's story people and there's numbers people. Mm -hmm. And so one of the people who sort of coached and helped guide us into his idea of how he'd pitch it totally had my heart. And his way of talking about it was, you know, that social media is this giant ocean and we're throwing girls into it without any swim lessons and they're drowning. And I was like in tears. I was like, that is so beautiful. Like I, that's, that's exactly it. And when I went to test pitch that on a lot of young men in technology, the look I got was like crickets. <laughs> they wanted to know what are the numbers? Who are you helping? Where is your funding from? And it's not that they didn't care. The story didn't speak to them in a way that stats and numbers did. And so you need to know that. Who is this person you're talking to and what did they respond to? Do they have a niece? Do they have a daughter? Um, or do you have to hit them in a different way? Right. That's really interesting. Um, so can you talk about some of the challenges or limitations that you found in the community, um, specific to Boston maybe, as a, compared to maybe other really growing innovation hubs like uh, New York or Silicon Valley? Um, what is kind of unique to our Boston area? The thing that's been the most valuable is the education. To have this many incredible colleges to choose from is such a blessing. I think about that all the time. Um, it's not only to be able to recruit our mentors, but in terms of any topic I'm studying or need research on, there is just this wealth of knowledge that is, you know, a, a coffee shop when I meet everyone for coffee. Mm -hmm. And so I think that to me, that is the part that opens all doors. You know, right now we have two Harvard Business School students who signed up for one year to help us develop a licensing model. And they have brought like all their learning and smarts to the table and helped us come up with a game plan. That access, I just, I never take for granted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a huge strength of the, of the local community, I'd say. And I feel like uh, we've heard that in previous interviews like this. Um, it's great to be able to tap into that 
Um, and it's you know generally a pretty energetic group, I would say, especially if it's a, you know something they care about, um, as you've said earlier. I guess you know in terms of growth, uh, this is pretty much strictly New England right now, right? Or at least the Boston area. How how does that? Yeah, we're right now in the Boston area, and I find one of the biggest challenges is there's definite push from the side of people in technology investing of like, how do you grow bigger? How do you get this to everyone? Mm. Why doesn't every girl in this world have this <laughs> curriculum right now? Which is certainly the goal. Um, but it also has to be thought of in you get one shot to roll this out and how do you grow it smart and how do you put the pedal on yourself to slow down so that you can do it right. So for instance, we're in the process right now of looking at licensing our Media Minds workshops which I'm really excited about. But I also know we have to pick X amount of schools, whether it's like five to seven schools next year, and try it before we do any kind of big rollout. And I think it's essential, and I think it's not always valued in a world that's all about bigger, better, faster, shark tank. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, the startup community, as you said, very growth-driven. If you're talking about, you know, putting an app out in the market it's like let's get it to as many users as possible but in something like this which is much more hands-on and you really need to kind of nurture it um is it hard to kind of balance that or it's hard it's hard to balance it there's just no question um i think people who've been around for a while understand when you say and even respect when you say we are going to slow down because we need to be learning and measuring impact and doing this well and here is our plan and we have a plan so I haven't gotten a lot of pushback when I explain it, but there are some people, you know, why aren't you at 12 schools right now? I'm like, we're in year two, dude. Like, <laughs> we're doing really great. Yeah. So I have to take stock and calm my own nerves by saying, like, no, I'm on track. This was right. actually in the business plan, and we're on track. And even if we weren't, you want to adjust and make corrections. You don't want to plow through so you can say we hit the numbers. Right. So I'm glad of where we are, but I want to stay conscious of um, making sure that it's growing smart. Mm. But I think that's great advice in general, just for startups, because you know a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck in this, like, I have to go, 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 go. But if you're not going wisely, then there's no point. Mm. Right. And it's hard to go backwards, right? right? You so can't. Like, so you can't. So. Right. So if we're like in Korea and it totally didn't work because we didn't do our homework, you can't get that back. Right. You know, you have to build your way to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you envision at all um, the, the roadblocks and kind of growing this thing out and, and, you know, putting these, putting your curriculum into the hands of more people out there, maybe as it gets bigger, having less direct control over how it's, you know, these messages are, are communicated, how these lessons are taught, that sort of thing. Is that something you're kind of nervous about or is it every like, night, get to three that? in the morning, yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. going to call me. Um, yes, I think about all the time. How are we going to have quality control? I know with my college students that they're trained, they're recruited, they're ready to go. When I don't know who the teacher is, am I going to be okay with that? And ultimately, you have to be somewhat cautious. But if you're so cautious and holding on to everything, you can't grow and scale. Like you have to make your decision of what's more important to you. Um, There is a nation of girls I want to have this curriculum and boys, frankly. And so I'm going to have to let go of some of the reins, which is painful (laughs) for me. But that's the game, right? Or you can stay small. And that's another choice. And keep your hands on the reins, but it, it means you're helping less people. So you have to make the call. One last few questions here, just winding down. But um, in terms of, um, you know, along the same lines, we spoke to a, a startup founder a few months ago who mentioned um, he had to kind of 
you know, dial it down a little bit in terms of like media outreach in particular, because sometimes almost it's like too much attention for where we are right now. Uh, and therefore we were getting a lot of inbound requests, a lot of, you know, um, higher expectations on stuff we couldn't necessarily deliver. Is that, have you found that at all? Is that like a little bit yes. of a pressure point? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of weeks ago we were interviewed on city line mm-hmm. for, um, local news and it didn't even dot on me, which is so dumb, but right after it aired, we started getting hit with like all these requests from schools you know, we're bringing a lot of programming for free into like, why wouldn't they want us? But I didn't have a game plan. And so I, that was just ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, I've been at this enough, I should have known. So I'll hold on to those names, you know, and I'll hold on to those contacts. But you have to be smart when you're doing media and expect that that's going to happen. Right. But my historic experience is I was promoting a book or a movie. So there was something quick you could do that helped me, right? right? Like it was right. a, an easy game plan. This is a harder thing. You want people on board. You want to keep it rolling forward. But you want to be able to deliver and help people who are asking for it. Right. Yeah. I think you mentioned, though, off, offline, there there are some other benefits, even if you do. You know, I think you gave the example of like like you found a developer or something like that uh, who just read about you or something and was willing to participate now. I don't know if it was specifically developer. It was, it was something along those lines. It's like, you know, you by being out there, you find some other people who can actually help you as opposed to necessarily asking stuff from you. That's the best of getting yourself out in media. It's never the thing you think, right? You put yourself out there with the hopes of like, oh, we're going to do X, Y, or Z. And then you hear from like some guy, you know, in Kansas who's like, oh, my aunt is in this field and she wants to help you. So I, that's what I love about it, frankly, is you have no idea. You know, you have no idea who you're going to hit emotionally with a topic like this and what they can bring to help. Mm-hmm. So I always think even if there's not a direct ask, it's just worth being out in the world. Um, and we also, we do offer content on our website. You know, there's monthly blog tips for parents and educators that anyone could take advantage of for free and be learning how to help their girls. So that helps too, knowing that we can reach everybody on some level, even if it's not in the classroom, we can be moving the conversations forward and helping. Right. Um, any advice for just other startups, you know, either locally or just in general in terms of uh, getting past some of those few early growing pains? So this is the image that I've had in my head this year, so I'll share it for what it's worth. Um, but I, I think of it now as when you're doing a startup, that you enter a river, like a kind of strong current river with your inner tube and you're about to sit down and you're terrified. (laughs) And at some point, like you just have to sit and go. And it's like this wild ride and it's fun. And then you look up and you're in the weeds and you have no idea how you got there, (laughs) right? And it's like, oh crap, I'm in the weeds and it's gross. And, but if you can stay calm and maneuver back, you get to go on the ride again and you know you're gonna end up in the weeds again. And it's all one giant ride. But I think if you can just stay calm in the weeds and remind yourself, I'm starting to build a model for getting out of the weeds and really the wild ride is so fun that it's worth it. That imagery has helped me through at the 3 a.m. You know, spots of like, what am I doing? (laughs) I remember I have my inner tube and fun. Yeah, you're in the weeds. You'll get out of it. Been there before. Okay. Uh, So, uh, Michelle, where can people learn more about Media Girls? MediaGirls.org. Nice and easy. Nice and easy. <laughs> Another piece of advice for startups: make it good, nice, easy, and easy. <laughs> That's right. Done. So people can remember. Um, okay. Thanks. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you. Really appreciate having you. Thank you.
Okay, guys, that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, thanks again to our guest, Michelle Cove. She is executive director and founder of Media Girls. If you'd like to learn more about her organization, again, the URL is mediagirls.org. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hacks and Flax is a production, again, of March Communications. You can find out more about our agency and our show uh, just by going to marchcoms.com. That's marchcoms.com. There you can find our blog. You can also find past episodes of Hacks and Flax, uh, including more in this series of startup interviews. We've done a few now, uh, and it's been going really well. I think you'll really enjoy those episodes. Again, you can find them over on our blog. Uh, you can also find them on iTunes, and we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. That way you get the latest episode of Hacks and Flax delivered straight to your device. And, of course, if you follow us on Twitter, the handle is at HacksFlax, uh, you'll get notifications about uh, the newest episodes as they come out. So that is all for this week. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Manny Vega. We'll be back real soon.